everyone, and welcome back to the Residual Whispers podcast. Every week, we explore a new haunted location or paranormal occurrence from around the world. I'm your host, Sky, And I am your co-host, Brian. And this week on episode six of Residual Whispers, we are taking you to Corvin Castle, the gothic masterpiece of Transylvania in Hunidwara, Romania. Thank you, Brian. You honestly could not have read that any more beautifully. Bring it to you every episode. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. It's going to be a fun one. It's set in medieval times, um, and we're going to mention, like, Vlad the Impaler. Things might get a bit dark, but it's going to be a good one, so I'm excited to bring it to you. This one has extensive dark history, y'all. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So be prepared. Um, one thing we did want to mention before we jump in is on the um, previous episodes, we have mentioned that you can expect the next episode on Tuesdays and that we'll be p- bringing the new episodes to you on Tuesdays. Um, but we've discovered as we settle into this pro- this process of... Um, recording and editing and putting everything together for you guys, we've discovered that Tuesdays is not very realistic because it takes Michael and I literally hours to edit. So it makes a lot more sense to get these posted on Wednesday morning so you can be expecting your new episodes on Wednesday instead. Um, On this episode, if you're listening to it on the day of release, it's probably Friday or Saturday night because Michael has had a friend in town from New York and so we've just been showing him the sights of Colorado and everything, which has been really fun. Um, And life. Yes, exactly. But it's been a busy week, so we're sorry to be a little late, but this is going to be a good one. So let's get started. Um, Brian? Let's do it. Do you know anything about Corvin Castle? I do not know anything about Corvin Castle specifically. Um, I do know a fair bit about Transylvania. Um, I got inspired to do a project on it in eighth grade, I believe, after it was mentioned in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Because that's where Frankenfurter and all of them are from is Transylvania. (laughs) And when I found out it was a real place, I had to do a project on it. And just found out that it was a very independent country for a little while. There were a lot of rulers that were able to fight off the Turkish invaders during those times until, you know, they eventually did take over slash expand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But still very fascinating history. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, the castle we're going to be talking about today is absolutely beautiful. Um, It's it's gorgeous and stunning. And one of the things that I learned about while looking into... Romania in general and Transylvania is they have some of the most beautiful architecture in all of Europe and actually some of the richest, most interesting history, which I had no idea. So it was really fun to look into this. The castle is absolutely stunning as you've got to go check out this picture at the blog residual whispers dot blog. It just has this beautiful, almost kind of medieval Celtic kind of feel to it. And it's got beautiful stained glass workings, and it's honestly one of the most like well-preserved castles from medieval times that I've ever seen. Definitely, I agree. Um, and like even just the like, what would you call this? Almost like a drawbridge. Yeah, that the leads like up long it. bridge. It's not basically. a drawbridge, but like yeah, the bridge that leads up to the right. castle itself is like gorgeous. It's I can't this even imagine big long bridge it. on pillars on like almost kind of like a cobblestone sandstone kind of thing. Um, so yeah, you guys definitely got to go check out this picture. Yeah. So it's gorgeous, but it's definitely got some history. So let's jump in without further ado. Located in Hunedwara, Romania, stands one of the largest and most beautiful castles in all of Eastern Europe, known as Corbin Castle. In Romanian, it's known as Castelul Covinilor, and in Hungarian, Vajda Hunyadi Var. 
One of Romania's most revered noble families called this place home, and it is rumored that Vlad the Impaler himself was held captive here. Its complex Gothic architecture masked the dark parts of its history and the torture that took place within its walls. Is it any surprise that a 575-year-old medieval castle is haunted? No. So yeah, almost 600 years old, this castle, you guys. And it's still as beautiful and well-preserved as it is. It it's really, awesome. really is. It really is. Super, super beautiful place. Um, so yeah, almost 600 years old. That's mind-blowing. So we're going back to the 1400s for this one. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> Okay, so what would come to be known as Corbin Castle was originally a fortress built by Charles I of Hungary, located on a large rock overlooking the Zyosti River. In 1409, King Sigmund gave the fortress and land to Voikunyadi, his brothers Magos and Radol, their uncle, also named Radol, and Voik's son, John Hunyadi, as severance. So basically, he gave this whole family... Of all these men. All like, the men. Yeah, this yeah. castle for everything they had done and um, as severance. Which is, <laughs> which is appropriate for the times. Yeah, definitely. So it was just a fortress at this time. It wasn't as grand as what we're seeing. So right. can't, the king was just like, here, take this. Right. So it seems that um, owning many other properties, the Hunyadis left the fort untouched and rarely used it during the time that Voik, his brothers, and Uncle Radol were still alive. So they, this family, the Hunyadi family... They owned a lot of different properties in Romania, and it seems like the king gave them this one, and they were like, okay, cool, and they just kind of left it alone for the entire just like we own time. It. Yeah, for the entire time the elders and the family were alive, they didn't do anything with it. Wow. So um, many years later, in 1446, the now grown John Hunyadi had become a strong military leader, as well as the void of Transylvania. So, uh, no, the void. The Vivode was appointed by monarchs and was the highest ranking Transylvanian official in the 12th to 16th centuries. Mm, so kind of like kind of like a general meets like a lord. Yeah, something like that. Something yeah, it like seems that. like it definitely wasn't a king or anything yet. Um, but yeah, he was doing really well in standings of the government and the military in Romania. He was very important. Got it. Um, so that year in 1446, he was also elected as regent governor. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth Zliagi, and they had two sons, Matthias and Ladislaus. He decided to level the fortress and build the castle of his dreams, and construction of Corbin Castle began under his orders. So he just, like, bulldozed that fort. Basically, he was like, goodbye to that, and he decided this was going to be the site for the castle. That I'm going to turn this land today. into my castle. Exactly. So the castle was built in a classic Gothic Renaissance style, featuring an inner courtyard, diversely colored roofs, a, a diverse array of windows and balconies, a double wall for fortification, and both rectangular and circular towers. Three of the towers, the Capistrano Tower, the Deserted Tower, and the Drummer's Tower, were used as prisons, and the Boosdugan Booz, and Niboiza which means do not be afraid towers. So one of the towers was literally do not be afraid was the name, which I think is Interesting. awesome. Niboisa. Huh. So that's pretty cool. Niboisa. Yeah. The rectangular shaped towers had larger openings to accommodate weapons, making this not only a regal home for Hunyadi, but a powerful military base as well. The castle also contained three large and important areas, the Knights Hall, the Diet Hall, and the Circular Stairway. 
The Diet Hall was used for ceremonies and receptions, and the Knights Hall was for uh, feasts and gatherings. So you think it'd be the other way around because you're like Diet Hall. But one thing that I noticed when I was looking into the whole history of like Romania and like on a lot of the pages, apparently the Diet was kind of like their like Congress or something like that. Like it was a part of their government was called the Diet. Huh. Yeah. So I think that's where it came from, where that was for ceremonies and receptions. And yeah. also what's really interesting about the architecture of this castle is building with kind of square and circular towers and structures, especially around Transylvanian times, that was kind of revolutionary for them back then. So this castle was definitely kind of one of the first of its kind in Transylvania. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, there was actually so many towers on this castle, which is insane. It's um, beautiful. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and you'll see this tower, this castle was expanded on for multiple decades. Um, oh, yeah. So super cool. So in 1456, only 10 years later, Hunyadi, the Eon of Hunadwara, as they called him, passed away. So 10 years after John Hunyadi starts construction on this castle, he dies. Wow. So that's really unfortunate. Um, so after his death, Hunyadi's son, Ladislaus, who had accompanied his father on campaigns since a young age and was becoming quite accomplished himself, became head of the family. Only one year later in 1457, after a complex, complex story involving military and political matters, both Ladislaus and Matthias were taken prisoner by King Ladislaus. Apparently Ladislaus was a really popular name, you guys. So this is a king, Ladislaus, who took Ladislaus and Matthias captive. Who are the sons of the original John. Exactly, right. yeah. So these are his sons. And so literally... Uh, so wait, where did this King Ladislaus come from? So he's from Hungary, okay. I believe. Okay, and so... This is where, this is something that I kind of left out of our story here because it was very complex. So within literally like the two years, no, literally the year that John Hunyadi dies, Ladislaus takes over and he becomes another important military and political figure. So this dude basically just comes out of nowhere. Well, kind of. He, so Ladislaus caused some trouble in some way. King Ladislaus? No, Ladislaus the son. Like the son, okay. So he, in the year that his dad was dead and he was taking over like the castle and stuff with Got his it. mother and his brother, okay. Um, he was just causing some trouble. He was like having some issues. Like he and the king of Hungary were basically like kind of enemies and Ladislaus oh, just okay. did some shit to piss him off. And like, honestly, Got the it. story was complex, you guys. Like reading just about Ladislaus's history, like that was where I got the most information about it. But it was just this complex political basically, military. So it's like the king of Hungary basically sent the f future king Ladislaus, whatever, to Transylvania. And he kind of took over? So, no, Ladislaus and Matthias, from what I understand, they got arrested by the king um, and like his men, yeah, okay. while they were on a trip. They were tricked oh. into because Ladislaus was rubbing people the wrong way with whatever was going on. Like I said, it was a very complex <laughs> thing. And it so we're talking about rich, spoiled boys. Yes. Going and wreaking havoc in Hungary. Yes. These okay. two were basically enemies. They did not like each other. Got and it. so once the king Ladislaus um, got the chance and he saw that Matthias and Ladislaus were visiting from their castle in Romania, coming from, you know, traveling, doing their political stuff and everything they're working on. Right. Um, they took the opportunity to arrest them, basically. 
Wow. So it's a complex story we're not going to go into here. Wow. But that's all you need to know. Yeah. But that is fascinating. Though. Yeah. So I know it's kind of confusing. But um, yeah. So they basically get captured by the King of Hungary and they're being held prisoner. We bring you history here at Residual Whispers. <laughs> yes. The history is actually growing to be some of my favorite parts. It's, of this oh, thing. easily. It's important to It's it. really fun to learn about. So um, on accusations of plotting against the king, Ladislaus Hunyadi was beheaded on the 16th of March that year. So the king Dang, took him three ha- days captive. before my birthday. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so King Ladislaus beheaded Ladislaus because he accused him of, um, of plotting against him. And so people were outraged, though, because even at this point in history, like in medieval times, people kind of had their right to some kind of trial per se where they right. would be right you know they you don't there just was still people. there was still always some kind of form of like quote-unquote trial back in the medieval times you know it wasn't yeah just, it wasn't just off with their heads right like, a lot of people realistic. think it, a lot of people do think that it was that and it mm-hmm. definitely was not in most cases exactly um yeah not all the time anyway no um, so this caused a huge rebellion stirred up by Ladislaus's mother Elizabeth and their uncle Michael Zloggy. Zloggy. <laughs> Zloggy. Zloggy. Brian's trying to teach me that one. Okay, we're, we're all right. <laughs> okay. Um, so King Ladislaus was forced to flee Hungary off after this rebellion. So basically, Ladislaus's mother and her brother were freaking pissed that these two had been taken captive and her son had been murdered. Naturally. And so she and the brother, Elizabeth sounds kind of like a badass. I got to tell you, she's kind of, she's going to have her moments, but she sounds like a badass woman, but well, she, she basically sounds like half, like who would one of those rich women that would go protect her little rich privileged son. Yeah, mm. no, that's fair. But I mean, he was beheaded. So she has every right to be angry. I mean, that's also true. So, <laughs> yeah. So like, um, she, And the brother basically stirred up this rebellion. They got everybody to rise up against the King of Hungary, and he fled. King Ladislaus was, like, out of there. So um, there's (laughs) some karma for you. Yeah. Smart. So later, King Ladislaus unexpectedly dies in Prague. Well, like, out on the run. Like, I didn't see exactly how What is it with these men just going places and... (laughs) Yeah, and just dying. Yeah. just either dying or effing shit up or... (laughs) So King Ladislaus flees and unexpectedly dies in Prague. And so Matthias's uncle Michael, so again, the mother's brother, and his mother saw an opportunity to claim power after this injustice, and they convinced the estates to unanimously declare Matthias king. Mm. So he was taken prisoner, and they're like, look, this guy murdered our son, so we have right to so the So little bro took over. Mm-hmm. And because King Ladislaus was the end of his line, right. he did not have any he children. He didn't have any heir. Exactly. And he had a sister named Anna, from what I've read, but... but they, she didn't have a son, I'm guessing. No, and her husband, um, from what I read, they were just like, they seemed unfit, and so they didn't Naturally. Want it. So they literally made Matthias king. He just got lucky and got handed the title of king that, because he went through this ordeal and his brother was murdered. Wow. That's so funny. very interesting. Yeah, so um, at only 14 years old, Matthias becomes king of Hungary in 1458. That also was an uncommon <laughs> for young boys to become yeah. like kings or men of power or something. But when you think about a 14-year-old today, it's like mind-blowing to imagine putting the nation in the hands of a 14-year-old. Well, that's just the problem, though, it's because insane. as history and a lot of like, you know, even TV and movies have taught us, if you when you put a young kid in that position of power, there's always an adult behind him that's like telling him what to do or pulling his strings or, you know... The kid's basically a puppet yeah. for whoever his quote-unquote advisors are. See, 
That's interesting that you say that because literally the next line in my notes are, he began his rule under the direction and guidance of his uncle Michael, Hmm. but within just two weeks decided he could handle it on his own. So he basically started with Uncle Michael being like, all right, son, let's rule this kingdom together. And well, not son, but you know what I mean? You know, he he probably basically called him that. Exactly. So this was probably, Michael probably saw his chance too. He's like, all right, my family's going to be royal now and I'm going to be pulling the strings like he said. Exactly. And Matthias was like, bitch, I got Mm. this. Back off. How about that? (laughs) So that's really interesting. Strong-headed 14-year-old. Yeah. So he began his, oh, right. He began his rule under Michael. That same year, the castle underwent commissions to add the new Matia wing and make reparations to the chapel. So a little more work was done on the um, the castle at this time because it was come it came to a complete halt when Hunyadi died, right. when the father died. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So by 1480, all construction on the castle was ceased, and it was recognized as the largest and most impressive building in Eastern Europe. So like, even though it was medieval times, everybody was hearing about Corbin Castle, and like, it was a big deal. So Matthias Corvinus actually did an excellent job as king, and both he and his father John, who led some of the most important battles against the Ottoman Empire, are revered as heroes in Romanian history. So this is a quote that I got when I was reading about Matthias. Um, Matthias established one of the earliest professional standing armies of medieval Europe, reformed the administration of justice, reduced the power of the barons, and promoted the careers of talented individuals chosen for their abilities rather than those, their social statuses. Dang. So that's pretty cool. That's really impressive. I mean, almost in that case, it almost kind of sounds like fate. Mm-hmm. Like he was always meant to be. Yeah, like, meant the ruler, to be king. And yeah. like it just ended up happening the way that it happened. Exactly. Wow. So uh, it also says Matthias patronized art and science. His royal library, the Bibliotheca Corvania, was Mm. one of the largest collections of books in Europe. With his patronage, Hungary became the first country to embrace the Renaissance from Italy. As Matthias the Just, the monarch who wandered among his subjects in disguise, he remains a popular hero of Hungarian and Slavic folktales. I freaking love this guy. Yeah, which is super cool. But wait till you hear as we get on. It's like... It's so interesting because both Matthias and John were amazing people and like seemed to be doing a lot of good with their rule and their power. Um, and they remember, to be John like wasn't one king. with the people. Yeah, like genuinely one with the people kind mm-hmm. of rulers. And John wasn't king, but he still did a lot of good, right? But at the same time, you're going to hear as we go on that being medieval times, they're torturing people in this castle with oh, yeah. medieval torture devices. Oh, yeah. They're they're oh, yeah. throwing it's, people in This is definitely be, not all sunshine and rainbows, yeah, people. People are getting eaten by animals and, like, it's oh, yeah. I be- oh, insane. Yeah. So, like, it's just really Ooh, interesting. I can't wait to get into all that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just really interesting to hear that they were such upstanding leaders. But at the same time, just because of the time, That's just the killing people was no big deal, no which big is deal. so mind-blowing to me to even think about. Okay, so one last interesting tidbit about Matthias. He had one son and four wives throughout his life, and his first wife, the uh, Elizabeth of Selji, uh, he married when he was just twelve years old. Mm. So another thing, like those arranged marriages at like twelve, fourteen, sixteen years old, like Oof. just crazy to even process in your mind. Um, but when the life expectancy was so low, that's you know, also you had true. to get your life on the that's road. That's also true. You have to keep in mind people were dying at like the age of forty. Yeah, like so. I, it, like basically you're almost halfway to your life at that point. Exactly. So it's like, Such a weird concept. 
All right. So in the 17th century, so long after Matthias and the Hunyadi family have passed on, Prince Gabriel Bethlen became master of the castle, and he oversaw some new additions, including a two-story palace that overlooked Hunadwara. So he attached a whole other palace onto it, two stories with extra bedrooms and a living area. It looks like it. Yeah, super cool. And then he also added two new military towers, the Artillery Tower and the White Tower. He also added a large external yard used for administration buildings and storage. Some architects have said that the castle lost some of its gothic touches during this time, as Prince Bethlen modified it to his liking, including changes to the chapel, the diet hall, and opening of various connecting passageways throughout the castle. Well, basically what he was doing, he was taking medieval gothic, but he was modernizing it. Yeah, that's true, for for his time in the 17th century. Yeah, that's fair. Like, it's totally fine that he did it. I mean, if you go look at it, it still looks like Renaissance, medieval, like... But apparently he did change some of the right. decorations and all those things during right. this time. And right. Yeah. Um, so the castle also underwent a major restoration in the 19th century after decades of neglect and a disastrous fire caused by lightning in 18, fifth, or 1854. Yeah. So much later. The, um, this included things such as fixing the roof and replacing old wood and plaster. And a surveillance turret was also added. Today, it is considered one of the Seven Wonders of Romania, which highlights Romania's most spectacular man-made structures, including churches, palaces, castles, and fortresses. So that's where I learned, like, Romania is huge on, like, classic Gothic architecture. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and so they literally have a list of what they consider to be their Seven Wonders, wonders, and this castle is often on the list. Rightfully so. And some of the other things that I just briefly saw photos of, like, wow, I was like... Really, it was really cool to realize that that's something they really take pride in. So, um, one quick fun fact: in 2018, much of the filming for the horror film *The Nun* was done at Corvin Castle. Oh, so Corvin Castle was the monastery that they were in in *The Nun*. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so super cool. Mm-hmm. Hate *The Nun*. Love it. I mean, I love it, but oh my god, does *The Nun* like itself scare? the shit out of me i agree you know i think i only watched it one time and i fell asleep towards the end so i really need to watch it again seriously. <laughs> so put that on the rewatch list <laughs> yeah but i thought that was super cool i had no idea just researching this place and that came up um which is super awesome so the nun was filmed in romania like that's rad shout out to ed and lorraine <laughs> um so just uh one quick note on the blog at residualwhispers.blog there is a beautiful 4K video um, of the castle that uh, was made by Framing Reality on YouTube. But the video is so gorgeous. You get to see the stained glass windows. It's so detailed. He does these killer, um, what I'm assuming are drone shots Mm -hmm. of the entire castle and the grounds around it. And um, the castle does this ceremony um, not every day, but every other day-ish, depending on the actor's availability, where um, they're dressed up in classic Renaissance costumes and they're playing music. And the way he films it is absolutely brilliant, guys. Yeah, the filming is gorgeous in it, so I had to include that. So if you really want to get a look at the castle, get a feel for it, definitely take the eight minutes to go watch that video. Right now. You can pull up another tab while listening to us. I know you can. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start diving into the haunted side of things. Here we go. And um, first we're going to touch on some of the legends of the castle. So what makes this place so dark and spooky? And where does the name Corvin come from? A few legends surrounding the castle and the Hunyadi family will explain this. So we're going to start with the legend of the raven. 
So some historians believe that John Hunyadi was the illegitimate son of King Sigmund and one of his subjects, Elizabeth. So just like we have um, King Ladislaus and then Ladislaus the son, John's mother's name was Elizabeth and John's wife's name was Elizabeth. So this is Elizabeth, his mother. So people think that King Sigmund and, um, and Elizabeth had a child, which was John. In order to preserve the fact that he had slept with a subject, basically, and had kind of broken some of the rules, they kept the secret. And so people think this might be part of the reason that King Sigmund gave Voik and Elizabeth the, um, or no, gave John's father the fortress and that family the fortress. Okay. Yeah, because, like, not only had they done stuff for, like, the country, but Voik, who was Hunyadi's father, also took Hunyadi on and helped keep the secret that was the fact that this is actually King Sigmund's son. Got it. So King Sigmund said, let me take care of you. Got it. That's what a lot of belief is. This isn't known for sure, but Mm -hmm. they think that Elizabeth and King Sigmund had John Hunyadi. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what does that have to do with the raven? So in order to protect all parties involved this remained a secret as we said sigmund gave elizabeth a gold ring to one day pass on to their son when john came of age elizabeth gifted him with the ring and one day while having lunch john removed the ring from his finger a raven tried to take off with it but john killed the bird with a bow and arrow and retrieved the ring wow later when he uh reached the royal court like when he got older and of age john recounted this story to the king who was possibly his father Impressed by this story, the king decided the Hunyadi family crest would be that of a raven with a gold ring in its beak. So you can see their family crest on our website, but so that's where Corvin comes from, okay? Because knowing that ravens also represented wisdom and longevity, the family resonated with the symbol and took up the name Corvin or Corvinus Mm. from the Latin word Corvus, which literally means raven. So legend also says that Elizabeth was able to use a raven to send Matthias a letter when he and his brother Ladislaus were kept prisoner. You know what's really fascinating that I'm just thinking about listening Mm -hmm. to that? So, Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Mm -hmm. So, the second one, we meet Lita Lestrange, right? Who is, their family crest is a raven, Mm -hmm. right? Remember how Mystery Kid, Credence, or whoever... Okay, was originally yeah. thought to be Lita's missing brother. Mm-hmm. Lita's missing brother's name is Corvus. Oh. So her missing brother's name is Corvus, and their family crest is a raven. There you go. Exactly. That That's why. That is fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So back in this time, in the medieval times especially, they would kind of just like, well, it's my name now. Or they'd have, what? like, multiple names. Yeah, like, something like that. Invent exactly. your own name. So Matthias was known as Matthias Corvinus, whereas okay. John was more just John Hunyadi in his time. Right. Um, but they did... That's where the name Corbin Castle came from. That Raven is Castle. Basically. So fascinating. And they just seem to have this thing for Ravens because the family also owned another property known as Ravens Rock. And so it was just their thing. It was their symbol. I mean, hey, you got it. Yeah. It. And I just thought that was important to share because it's kind of a cool little legend and it explains where we get the Corbin thing from. That so. is so fascinating. Yeah. So, okay, here we're going to get into more of the spooky stuff. So there's also the legend of the well. So. Hunyadi, John Hunyadi in his lifetime, promised freedom to three Turkish prisoners if they could dig a well in solid stone. 
The men dug for 15 years and eventually reached water 38 meters deep. Hunyadi had passed away, so the men approached Elizabeth. So this is where Elizabeth has her bitch moment. 15 okay. years. Yeah. So these men, these Turkish prisoners literally started digging. Because remember, um, we said that the castle and the fortress, the original fortress, were on a rock right. overlooking the river. Right. And so this is on solid stone. Right. That, this, that Hunyadi was like, yeah, sure, I'll let you go if you dig a well and reach water through so this So it was rock. more of like, haha, you're never getting out of here. Exactly. But these men dug for 15 years through this rock that they were prisoners and 38 meters down, they finally reached water. It's like when the stepmother told Cinderella if she got all her chores done. Yeah, right? Like, 15 years of work. So, yeah, that's mind-blowing. Um, and I don't know. This legend seems to have a lot of truth to it. Um, but anyway, so Elizabeth has her moment of really being awful. And she decides not to honor Hunyadi's promise, but instead decides to execute them. So she's just like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I forgot you guys even existed as you've been digging this well for 15 years. We're just going to go ahead and execute you. And I think that's exactly what it was. She's probably thinking, oh, we didn't actually think you guys would do it slash we thought you would die. Right. Before you succeeded doing it. So, But it was just three men that the (laughs) fact that Elizabeth couldn't just let them go after her own son had been beheaded and treated that. I mean, keep in mind, she also (sighs) was she was a woman in a pretty, pretty high power for that time for a woman yeah and especially to be a woman of power in that time she's probably thinking i can't just let these guys go Mm -hmm. like you know that makes me look soft yeah that could be but i still don't like it still don't like it really sucks do i understand it yes could you imagine digging for your freedom for 15 years and that happening i would no (laughs) <laughs> so that's what you did with your life, and then you get executed. So um, before their death, uh, one of the prisoners inscribed, water you have, the heart not. Or some versions say, water you have, the soul not, mm. into an area of the rock around the well. So truth. Yeah. So um, this is what's interesting, though, okay? So you know how this castle is almost 600 years old. And when legends get passed down over time, a lot of misconceptions and things get changed and twisted like telephone right well yeah so i found three different answers to what this inscribing on the well says okay so the original legend the original legend says like what we said water you have the heart not right okay that's basically it or the soul not right that's what the legend says but then okay so then i was reading on the website for corbin castle in their section of history that the actual inscription, um, they had it translated, and um, it actually reads, the one who wrote it is Hassan, a prisoner at the counter in the city near the church. When they actually, like, translated, yeah, so when they actually translated this inscription that was on the wall of the church, finally, when they decided to make this a museum and everything, okay? Okay. They translated the inscription, and it did not say, water you have the soul not, or any of that. It said, I am, or the one who wrote it is Hassan, a prisoner at the counters in the city near the church. So basically, maybe one of the prisoners was named Hassan, and this was his last inscription. Yeah, he was basically leaving his mark. Exactly. Okay, but then the third thing. So then I'm watching the episode of Ghost Adventures, of course, and... Basically, the lady who is the tour guide that is showing Zach and all of them around tells them that it's the names of the three men. Abraham, and then there's two other guys. But it's names. Three names inscribed on there. And she's the tour guide. So we don't know. So 
Apparently, we have no we idea really what this inscription know. really says. So what does that say about the legend in general? I don't know. But anyway, so just to show you that we don't know if all of this is completely true, I found that really confusing and interesting. But um, apparently, these three prisoners were beheaded over the well. And it's believed that their schools lie at the bottom. So literally, oh, they wow. leaned over the well and got their heads cut off over the well that they dug for 15 years. And their heads are at the bottom. All that hard work for their own death to be, yeah. So um, now the angry souls of the Turkish prisoners haunt that part of the castle, surrounding the well that they spent more than a decade digging. Um, Today, people throw coins into the well to honor the prisoners. So, like, that's a tradition when people go visit the castle. Um, There is a picture of the well on the website if you want to look at it. Um, It's just, like, it's great around it, and it's pretty deep, so... Not a ton to look at, but the little courtyard it's in is really pretty. So this is that well that we were talking about. Oh, Ryan. gotcha, It's gotcha. just got this little grate around so no one falls in. Yeah. But um, apparently there are other stories that bodies and stuff were thrown down that well quite often during these times after wow. it was dug. So. How about that? So that's interesting. The legend of the well. Wow. Then we have the legend of the monk. So this one's short and sweet or very unsweet. After being caught spying on a nobleman, a monk in the castle was sentenced to death by immurement, meaning they literally encased the poor man alive into the wall of the Capistrano Tower with bricks, where he died a slow and painful death. He haunts the tower to this day. So they literally put the man alive in the wall, bricked him in, and left him inside the wall to die. (laughs) Like, can you believe that? No, absolutely not. And apparently that was a common thing, immurement, in the medieval times, as a form of death and punishment. What do you mean, Mirmont? No. No? Immurement. Oh, immurement. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, which is where they would just encase you in a wall. They just put you in there and brick you in and say goodbye. Like, mm. I can't believe that. It's so terrible. Oh. So, yeah, the monk ha- uh, haunts the Capistrano Tower, apparently, um, which I would too if I were him because that's awful. All right, so now getting to the part you've probably been waiting for the legend of Vlad the Impaler. So it is the said, one and only. Mm-hmm, the infamous. It is said that Vlad the Impaler was held captive here by John Hunyadi between 1448 and 1456, after arriving at the castle to seek a political alliance with him. So basically, Vlad showed up and was like, "Hey, let's work together." And Hunyadi was like, "Now's my chance!" And mm-hmm. he like captured mm-hmm. him. Right. And legend says that he was kept underneath the castle in one of the dungeons for like several years. Sounds okay? right. So. While a prisoner in Corbin Castle, Vlad fed on rats to stay alive and developed his thirst for blood that would make him the infamous impaler that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, because of these links, people often refer to the castle as Dracula's castle and say that it was inspiration for Bram Stoker's castle Dracula. However, Stoker has said himself that he knew nothing of Corbin Castle or the links between Vlad and Hunyadi. And actually it's suspected that there is zero truth to this legend at all meaning that Vlad was never a prisoner at the castle to begin with. Mm. Because some versions of this legend even say it was actually Matthias who held Vlad prisoner around the 1460s, not Hunyadi. So it's definitely up for debate whether this really occurred or not. But a lot of people really do believe that during a time where Vlad's whereabouts were unknown, he was being held in Corbin Castle as prisoner. Wow. And so... Whether that's true or not, really interesting. And that's probably one of the things that's most well known for today is like being associated with Vlad. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, since 1978, the castle has been a museum open to visitors throughout the year. One of the most popular areas of the museum is the dungeon style torture museum. 
This area showcases various replicas of medieval torture devices, and you can get a close look at all of them while simultaneously listening to recordings of terrified screams and moans. So literally when you go into this, it's like an outside building that they've added to the castle that it's like its own little part of the museum. Right. And it's like set up like a dungeon. And when you walk in there, there's just like recordings of people screaming and moaning and like dungeon sounds, you know? So it's lovely. Wonderful. (laughs) So all of these devices um, were popular methods of torture during the time in Romania and several were used in the castle throughout the centuries. So everything on display there was torture devices used specifically in Romania. So in the castle, there are actually two bear pits where prisoners would be thrown in to be mauled and eaten alive by animals in the castle. Absolutely awful. Um, So that's proof that that was really happening at the very least. There are these bear pits there. And I feel so bad, too, because they're like they show them in some of the videos that um, we'll talk about. And they're so small. And like they're just keeping animals down there and feeding them humans. And it's so sad. Well, the thing about those times (laughs) is humans were much more in the circle of life. And, you know, it's not like we are today where we literally just hurt animals and kill them for fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I feel bad for the animals. I feel bad for the people. So, um, yeah, given the fact that torture and the idea of this this castle is very well known for being a place of torture. Okay, That's as why we it has said, a, a couple, museum. yeah, a couple of the um, towers were prisons, right? And so, um, yeah, it's just it was really intense. And so, I thought that we could go ahead and talk a little about some of these torture devices. Okay. So this is going to be fun and awful, (laughs) seeing as the fact that they even exist is both shocking and morbidly interesting. So I'll just give you a trigger warning now. If you want to skip this part of the episode, feel free. These are intense, and I will admit that I got sick to my stomach while reading about them. Some of them are bad, so feel free to skip it. Medieval torture. Yeah, it's awful to think that these things were really happening. Okay, so first off, in the museum is the Spanish donkey. So... The Spanish donkey, the victim is placed on a sharp, triangular cut of wood with the pointed edge between the legs. Weights are then added to the feet and ankles until the person is split in half. That one I'm familiar with. Yeah, so they would just like sit you on this thing and you'd get weighed down until you just split. Yep, crushed to death. Absolutely horrible. Um, So then there's also the rack, which Mm -hmm. was designed to tear a victim in half and dislocate every bone in the body. The person's limbs would be tied with ropes attached to a wooden frame, and a handle is turned to pull the arms and legs tighter and tighter in opposite directions. This is one of the most classic ones that I know. Yeah, yeah, this is one that's well known. Sometimes the rack would even have spikes along the bottom so that the unfortunate torturous flesh would also be torn and mangled as they were being pulled apart. So I just can't imagine. And actually, while I was reading about these, um, a lot of things said that the rack, as bad as some of the rest of these sound, like some of them sound worse, they say the rack was one of the most painful because your bones are just getting dislocated in every way possible, which right. is horrid. Right. Um, so that's disgusting. And then next is the Iron Maiden, which I'm sure we all know this one as well. So the victim would be forced into a small, dark iron chamber, mm-hmm. often shaped as a woman, kind of like a sarcophagus kind of thing, yep. lined with spikes, causing the victim to be impaled from all angles when the door was closed. Oh, yeah. And oftentimes they would live through this. And so it was just a means of torture, not necessarily murder, um, which is awful just to be closed in there. And, oh, absolutely horrible. You can catch that one in Despicable Me when Gru pops 
the little one's juice box. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Okay, and then the last one we're going to talk about here is impalement. All right, so since we're talking about Vlad the Impaler, it is only fitting to take a closer look at this absolutely heinous torture method. And this is the worst one we're talking about here, so please be prepared. Um, this is actually awful. So, you know, we've all seen presentations of people being impaled in the Correct. movies and things, but... Mm -hmm. To think about how they really got onto that stick is one of oh, the look, worst things I've, I've been ever impaled. Been. Absolutely horrible. So the way impalement would work, okay? Get ready, you guys. This is really rough, but it's interesting. So a victim is laid on the ground, hands tied behind their back. The rectum would be split open with a razor, and a stake is thrust into the body, then hammered in with a mallet until the tip emerges from the breast, head, or shoulders. So they literally hammered the stake up, mm -mm. up your butt. Nope. Which is just nope. I can't believe it. And and what's interesting about this is, Vlad Vlad the Impaler impaled more than twenty thousand people. Oh Jesus! And you remember, like we've seen, it, it's truth that Vlad would put these stakes of people just out in front of his castle, and there'd be thousands of them at a time. Right. So just absolutely horrible. Um. 20,000 people killed in this absolutely heinous way. So the stake would then be stood upright, causing even more agony for the poor soul on it, as their body weight caused them to slide further down. Mm. They would be left on display as a warning and example. And survival time could vary from a few days or a few minutes to three days, depending on how the stake went through the body. Oh, Jesus. So you could be on one of these stakes alive just Ew. three days. God. So that's really, really horrible. Um, so I'll just mention there's two other really awful methods featured in the museum that were so bad I decided to leave out uh, talking about here. Um, I probably would have left out impalement if we hadn't been talking about Vlad. But if you're interested in what these other methods are, look up Judas's cradle and the breaking wheel, also known as Catherine's wheel. So if you're interested in learning about some more of this creepy stuff, I mean, these two were really bad. Um, the museum also features needles, pliers, masks, and other implements of torture. And the honorable mention goes to Judas's chair, a chair covered in spikes that the victim was tied into during questioning or coercion, and strapado, in which a person's arms were tied behind the back around the wrists and then suspended, causing dislocation of the, shoulder, the shoulders. So you were just suspended by your, rib, your wrist behind your back up into the air, which... Not cool. Just absolutely terrible. So Oof. it's just crazy to think that in the Middle Ages, this was acceptable. People were just doing this to each other without any thought, without any worry. And it's just really intense. So I can't even imagine hurting another person at all, much less doing this. Fair. So interesting to think about. It's morbid, but it's history. So there is a video of someone walking through the torture museum part of the castle on the blog at residualwhispers.blog, and you can go check that out if you would like. Um, check it out. So you can get a little preview of what the museum looks like. So um, it is believed that this beautiful centuries-old castle is haunted by tortured prisoners and maybe even members of the Hunyadi family. Visitors report being touched or even bruised by unseen forces, feeling dread and hearing disembodied screams, moans, and footsteps. There are reports that a violent poltergeist haunts the castle, seeking revenge. While searching for evidence, I really honestly couldn't actually find much. Even though it's reported that EVPs are frequently captured, I failed to find any on like YouTube or any websites, and there aren't really any videos or photos of apparitions or anything like that either. 
But it seems like because it's a museum and security there is kind of strict, they're not really allowing a lot of people in to like ghost hunt or do those kind of things. Right. And so keep I'm in mind, guessing that's Keep why. in mind this museum is separate from the castle, guys. So Well, just the torture museum. The yeah. rest of the museum has been right. turned into right. – Yeah. Or the rest of the castle has been turned into a right. museum. So, yeah, it has been featured on a few documentaries and television series. And to no one's surprise, though, okay, Ghost Adventures is one of the only major paranormal investigation teams to visit. Absolutely no surprise. They did a Halloween special in 2013 all about Transylvania, season 9, episode 10. Um, and they covered several haunted locations in Transylvania in general. And Corbin Castle was towards the end of the episode. Um, so interestingly, though, they do talk to two of the staff members who recount their own creepy encounters and capture some interesting evidence like heavy door, uh, heavy door opening in the chapel, footsteps, flashes of light, and even an intriguing EVP of women laughing. Um, you can watch that entire hour and a half episode on Discovery Plus, as I said, uh, season nine, episode 10. And it was actually really interesting. Corbin Castle was only a short part, but they look into a lot of places related to like Vlad and stuff. So, of course, they have been to Corbin Castle. Um, but we are going to go ahead and play this EVP for you guys of the women laughing because I want Brian to hear it. And also, it is insane. It's a, one of the most intense EVPs I have heard. Okay, get ready, Brian. So this is the EVP, and I think they play it twice. EVP. I that mean, was it like sounds like several women and like several women. That like, is cackling. It's so weird, and it sounds like one of those laughs you'd hear on like a like old television show where they like you know the sitcoms where the laughs would just come from the audience. Oh, kind like, of. Like that's what it sounds except, like. Except, it's except it sounds maniacal and witchy and mm-hmm. cackly and ugh. Yeah. Ooh. So um, I thought they played it twice, but let's just go ahead and play it one more but time. But God, I love seeing my man, Aaron. <laughs> so pretty insane, that laughter. I mean, that was unbelievable. They actually, in the episode, they called the security guard outside and asked him, like, Hey, because there was still a guy out there doing security. Because like I said, security is tight around this place. They oh, don't yeah. want van- vandalism and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so the security guard's outside and Zach like walkie-talkies him and is like, hey, is there like women laughing outside? Like, is there people around the castle? And he said no and that he didn't hear it. So it didn't come from outside, which is just insane. So that is one of the best EVPs I have ever heard and that definitely gave me chills. spooky. Yeah. Kooky spooky. So there is one more EVP that they capture on the episode, um, and we're going to play that one as well. There was actually another one on top of this, but we're just going to play the best two. Um, So yeah, let's take a listen to this one. So this EVP was taken in what is believed to be Vlad the Impaler's cell, um, or like where he was kept in the dungeon, if he was really a prisoner there. A man's voice comes through, and to us, it sounds like clear English saying, I was bitten. Yeah, 
yeah, so that's a really interesting one um, because this is supposedly in Vlad's cell and they're saying, how did you die? And so it's probably not Vlad's ghost, obviously, but like some, the ghost in the cell says, I, I was, was bitten, bitten, which is crazy. Maybe it was the bear pits, who knows? But it sounds like a, in English, but with a Transylvanian accent. Vlad Dracula, it definitely sounded like it had an accent, mm-hmm. which is odd to me. And all, um, Zach was saying before the EVP was speak now in Romanian. That's well, what he was and I I find it very very odd. It would be in English. Yeah, I don't know, but that's definitely what it sounds. I mean, it definitely sounds like I was bit. It definitely. Me. I mean, yes, it absolutely sounds like that. It's just crazy. Like it's weird mm-hmm. that it would happen that way. I agree. So yeah, if you have Discovery Plus, you can go watch this episode, um, season nine, episode ten. And I mean, we said we weren't going to talk too much about ghost adventures, but thank God they bring us the evidence that they do because they do. it's awesome. Um, and the whole night they were getting EVPs. And like I said, this big heavy door in the chapel like squeaked open so loud. And it's like a big heavy door. It's like so. a big heavy medieval door. Yeah. Like the evidence. The kind of doors that don't move easily. <laughs> so the evidence that they captured was really awesome. Um, and with Halloween coming up, I strongly recommend you guys go watch that episode. Coming up. <laughs> also, notice if you notice what kind of people Sky and are, we say Halloween is coming up before it's even September 3rd. Yeah, right. It's getting here. <laughs> Spooky season is on the horizon. Um, so time to get excited. But <laughs> I love any reason to watch horror movies and stuff. Oh, and also what I was going to say was I found out today that there's a new uh, season of Ghost Adventures coming in September. Woo-hoo. So get pumped because I know I am. <laughs> Love them. Oh, man. Okay. So um, to start wrapping up it up here, there was one video that I found of somebody kind of like, quote unquote, ghost hunting in the castle. Um, this video was from Amy's Crypt, who we also talked about in the um, the Hellfire Club episode. Right. One of her videos we had in there, too. So she's right. really badass. She travels like all over Europe checking out these haunted places, which are really awesome. Shout out. And this is during the day, and she's just doing a tour there. Um, so she's mostly kind of just her walking around, but she does use a spirit box a few times while inside. Hate them. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So you can hear some very quiet sounds and voices come through the spirit box. But what was most intriguing to me was the voice she captures unexpectedly on their video camera three minutes in. Um, so literally, they're just filming them looking around the castle and they catch an EVP on their regular video camera. Not on the spirit box, not on any special recorder. Like they just capture it's on a flat this voice. Out camera. It's insane. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool. So originally they think the voice said, you're coming for me. But one Romanian commenter on the video pointed out that it sounds like ecom intuneric or something like that in Romanian, which they say means it's quite dark. That's what they think it said, like a Romanian person commented. And I'm definitely, said. I'm definitely much more on the side of believing that they would be speaking in Romanian or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, not English. Yeah. I mean, because people die. I mean, like, other people were in charge in the 17th and 18th centuries, too, of the castle. Well, that's true. So, like, other people could have died there that weren't Romanian, like, didn't only speak Romanian, but right. you never know. Um, so, yeah, this is really awesome to me because the voice is captured as they're looking into and filming an extremely dark passageway. And this Romanian person thinks that it said it's quite dark. Wow. So it's super cool. The video is attached um, on. That's cookie spooky. Yeah, really cool. And to not even catch it on like a specific recorder or something, just for it to happen just that way. Up. So cool. Um, so the video is attached on the website, residualwhispers.blog. And we're not going to play this one for you. So I highly recommend you go check it out. 
It's about three minutes into the video. Um, she also shows us the well. She like shows the camera down the well and looks around other like infamous areas of the castle we've talked about. So it's actually a really fun watch. I recommend you go check that out. Um, so shout out to Amy's Crypt. Um, so the thing is, this castle at 575 years old has seen the torture, imprisonment, and execution of an unknown number of human beings. At the least several hundred. At the very least, several hundred people were tortured in this castle, if not thousands. Right. So it's really hard to say, but like a lot of people were tortured to death or fed to animals in this castle. So to think that it's not haunted, um, it's also been in the center of war and battle and witnessed the life and rule of multiple princes, kings, and families. With its age and history, it seems pretty improbable that there isn't a few restless spirits wandering around. Plus, it seems like a kind of rad and beautiful place to spend eternity. I mean, it's a pretty nice castle to wander around for the rest of your existence. I don't know about that one. But. <laughs> it's pretty nice, man. I don't know. There's worse places to spend It definitely the rest of it gives life. off residual haunting energy. Yes. It gives off very residual haunting energy. I agree. I said this spends, to spend the rest of your life, but, you know, the afterlife. The afterlife. <laughs> eternity. Mm-hmm. So just even with this age alone, the idea that this place isn't haunted is just kind of crazy. Like, there's definitely something there. Um, so we'd love to hear your thoughts about what you think about Corvin Castle, what you think about the EVPs we shared tonight. You can leave us a comment on the blog or visit our Instagram or Facebook pages. Send us a message. Um, we would love to hear from you. And that's it for the dark, mysterious, and gorgeous Corvin Castle in Romania. Is it possible that the infamous Vlad the Impaler spent time as a prisoner here? If they excavated the walls of the Capistrano Tower, would they discover the bones of the spying monk? Was the well really a product of 15 years of slave work? And are the halls haunted by the victims of unfathomable medieval torture? We'll let you decide. So until next time, I'm your host, Sky, And I am your co-host, Brian. And remember, if it feels like there's somebody there, there probably is. Bye. Thank you for being a part of the Residual Whispers community. This podcast was created, written, and hosted by Skylar Daniels, co-hosted by Brian Grace, and edited and produced by Michael Liddell. You can check out all evidence, photos, and stories at residualwhispers.blog. You can contact us with your own paranormal stories, comments, or questions by sending an email to residualwhispers at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it if you followed us on Instagram at Residual Whispers blog and help us grow by subscribing to the blog to receive notifications every time we post. We hope you enjoyed listening and we can't wait to share our next paranormal story with you.